Hello, hello, I'm your host, Kathleen Gomez, and this is Soak Up the Sports, a show all about summer sports in Spain. Today's episode is about soccer, the most important, most valuable, and most popular sport in the nation. Say hi to my co-host, Liad Lerner. Hey everyone, and yes, I am finally ready to talk about my favorite sport, not football, but soccer. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll cover the Euros, the El Clasico rivalry, the politics, the history. We're going to reach it all as we deep dive into Spain's favorite sport. And we're going to hear from a fellow journalist who has dedicated his career to the beautiful game. Yes, we have quite the episode for you today. So, que pasa en España? Here's this week's sport of the summer, soccer. So I know we're in a place where it's called football, not soccer, and personally I prefer calling it football because it just makes more sense. Sure, but we're from America, our audience is from America for the most part, it's <laughs> called soccer. So for the sake of this episode, we're just going to say soccer. Sorry in advance if this annoys anyone, trust me, it annoys me too, but oh well, let's get over it. Yeah, let's get over it. All <laughs> right, let's start with the history of the sport. Good idea. Soccer is the sport with the most registered players in Spain. Leah, do you want to guess how many? Um, honestly, I don't have any idea. Is it like 100,000, a million? Like what scale are we talking about here? <laughs> Actually, you're super close with a million. It's about a million and 63,000 people as of 2020. And a lot of that is owed to the Royal Spanish Football Federation. According to their website, the federation was founded in 1909 in the nation's capital city of Madrid. It appoints managers of men's, women's, and youth national teams, which basically means that the thousands of clubs across the country that make athletes out of kids who like kicking a ball around are producing future national team players. And La Liga is run through them too? Right. So La Liga, which is officially known as the Campeonato Nacional de Liga de Primera División. Mouthful. It really is. The Liga was established in April 1928, and since then, 62 teams have circulated through the league. Today, there's 20 teams that compete, and two teams that I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Yeah, these teams' legendary rivalry could be a podcast in itself, which, luckily enough, we have. If you want a deeper <laughs> look into the two teams, you can head over to my podcast, Barca Nation, where we have an entire episode dedicated to this El Clasico rivalry. For some perspective on the politics of the nearly century-long decession, I did a little research on the number of supporters for each club. And a little research would be an understatement. <laughs> What'd you find? So among all this research, the rivalry produces quite an argument for which team has the most fans. Popular sports publications here in Spain, like Marca, have said that Real Madrid are the winners by millions. But international media outlets that are more likely to consider fans all over the world say that Barcelona have more fans. And this is true, according to research from ISPO, a German publication. They use social media followers and activity for the teams as the best estimator for fans. Barcelona won by about a million followers. Satisa.com chose to gauge fans for each team based on attendance at their respective stadiums. After the 2019 La Liga season, which was the last season that allowed full stadium capacity, Barcelona had, on average, 3,000 more fans in their stadium than Real Madrid. Well, that's all well and good, but you have to keep in mind that Barcelona's stadium is a little bit bigger than Madrid's, too. Exactly. Camp Nou in Barcelona seats almost 100,000 people, and Santiago Bernabeu Stadium in Madrid only holds about 81,000. 
All right, what about fans just in Spain rather than worldwide? So that number was a little bit more difficult to pin down, but it seems that Spaniards prefer Real. A survey from Sports Administration weighed social media activity, attendance, fan club membership, and value of each team from a fan's point of view, and they concluded that 32.4% of Spaniards support Real Madrid and 24.7% support Barcelona, with the remaining percentages all supporting other, lesser popular clubs. Very interesting that Real Madrid comes out on top once again. <laughs> well, Liad and I disagree about which Spanish <laughs> team takes the cake, but again, for more on that, hop on over to his podcast to hear us get into a little creative discussion about the teams. Yeah, some fighting words were thrown around over there. <laughs> uh, but let's talk a little bit about the national team now. Yeah, so the Spanish national team lives up to the hype that the country gives the sport. Spain won the FIFA World Cup in 2010, UEFA European Championship in 1964, 2008, and 2012, and Olympic gold when the games were hosted right here in Barcelona back in 92. Yeah, that run from 2008 to 2012 was an unprecedented run of success for any national team. I mean, winning three consecutive major international tournaments like that had never happened before. Exactly. Spain is the only country to win back-to-back -back UEFA Euro titles in 2008 and 2012. And although they didn't take that title this year, they did make it all the way to the semifinals. It's also a new era for the national team. Two-thirds of the team entered the tournament with less than 15 career international appearances, and for the first time ever, not a single Real Madrid player was selected for the 24-man roster, including former captain Sergio Ramos, who didn't make the team because he was still recovering from a hamstring injury he got back in March. But just a quick recap of their Euro run. The opener against Sweden ended scoreless, but Spain held possession for 85% of the game. 85% of 90 minutes is 70 6.5 minutes. Yeah, that was ridiculous. That possession number was a new record in a Euro game all the way back since they started recording those stats in 1980. Spain's second game against Poland left them with a 1-1 draw with Alvaro Morata scoring for Spain early with a quick goal. But that was about all he did during the match. More was expected, but more was not what the team or the fans got. Until game three, where everything finally clicked for Spain. They beat Slovakia 5-0 to clinch the top seed in their group, and then they won their round of 16 clash against Croatia in a 5-3 thriller, with extra time goals from Morata and Mikel Oyarzabal to put the Spaniards through to the last eight. Into the quarterfinals they went, and nerve-wracking was an understatement for the way fans felt as Spain fought for their win against Switzerland on penalties. Before extra time, Spain tied it at one with a goal from Shakiri to cancel out an embarrassing own goal from Zakaria. And as impressive as their redemption was, the semifinals were sadly the end of the line for Spain. The match once again went to penalties, where eventual champions Italy knocked Spain out after a miss from Morata and a cool winner from your Chelsea guy, Jorginho. <laughs> Overall, it was a roller coaster tournament for Spain with high highs and low lows, but it's definitely something to build off of moving forward for this inexperienced team. Exactly. Soccer is everything to Spain, and although they may not have been victorious at this year's Euros, that doesn't change the way the nation respects the sport. I sat down with a fellow sports journalist who has covered soccer for years, from events like the Olympic Games, FIFA World Cup, and Champions League Finals, to more local experience as a writer for FCB Games at Camp Nou. He knows the sport inside and out. His name is Tony Padilla, and he's from Sabadell, a small city just outside Barcelona. He told me about the passion that soccer fans have for big-name teams and smaller clubs, even if they're negative. Half of the population is either a Barca or Madrid fan, but the other half of the population hate them so much. 
this does, obviously doesn't happen in Barcelona because here you know, the most popular people is a Barca fan of Madrid. But if you travel to another city, they will tell you that they hate Barca and Madrid. They are sick of them because anyway, we, the, the, it's another way to to to, to live soccer. We, we we support our local club. Yeah, the rivalry between these two teams is one of the most intense in all of sports. They really just hate each other, plain and simple. <laughs> yeah, and Tony is super familiar with soccer all around the world, too. So I picked his brain about the American history of soccer and the MLS League. I know soccer is a much, much bigger deal here in Europe, but he said the same passion for the sport was present in America as well, just a little time ago. But at the beginning, if you look at the first World Cup in 1930, it was a, a huge, important American side that made it to the semifinals and some important clubs, especially in the in the East Coast, New York, Boston, related with uh, with some communities like the Italians, the Irish, the Jewish, the Jewish, Ukrainians. But then it, it kind of disappeared. And soccer didn't come back until the 70s with the famous uh, New York Cosmos and Pelé, all the stuff, trying to then to create a, a known American soccer culture and that is what 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 is going on right now it's trying to to find the balance between the local sports identity in the united states that it's uh, so unique and try to be connected with the sports with the, with a sport soccer that is the, the most important sport elsewhere in the world so it's trying trying to find the balance we talked for a while about the global reputations of both real madrid and barcelona and tony said while the notoriety is impressive he wishes more people could see the value of small town clubs too don't forget that it's not just about el clasico it's a big reality outside el clasico that if you travel to cities like bilbao like valencia to like sevilla you will not find find a lot of barcelona and madrid fans obviously they are there but the, the, they support the local club and there may be the the identity is more like being that uh, football is more than a game, and it's it's something else. It's some it's something it's something different. It's it's a it's a part of your way of life, and you think that you really are the owner of the club. Yeah, whether you're a fan of one of the really big clubs in the big cities or a smaller one in a lower division, the passion and love that is present for these clubs and all of their communities is really amazing. Yeah, what he said about recognizing the balance between the fame and reputation of soccer clubs versus the value of it to the fans really hit home for me. I grew up watching whatever soccer game came on TV. I would ask my dad, who's playing? And he would tell me, it doesn't matter, soccer is on. And that idea kind of related back to what Tony told me about soccer here in Spain nowadays it's like a uh, half of the football fans they they, they think that the, the the game should become bigger and bigger and bigger and to create a european super league to win more money more money and it's like um, um to have the best games and the best players every weekend like as the most important thing is the show uh maybe to turn the Champions League into something more similar like the NBA. Um, and then a lot, it's a, a, lot of, a lot of soccer fans that say, no, no, this is not the, the road. The, the, what, is, what is important is not to have uh, the best uh, games always and to win uh, as more money as we can. What is important about sports and soccer is the values that, that they have. We cannot forget that at the end it's a, it's a, it's a game and a game it should have a values. What values we want to show to the world? So maybe the, what's most important is to to take care of uh, local people, is to take care of our young players, to be sure that the, the the football clubs before they want to be bigger in a global sense, they forget to have, for example, a strong women soccer side. So we start to think about first on our roots, try to to turn 
the clubs into something that's a part of a community and it's example of good values of thinking of, of t- talking about diversity, talking about identity, talking about equality. And then uh, don't forget that it's not so important maybe to be the best in the world. Well, what's important is to feel proud of the, what you're doing. Yeah, with so much money being poured into the sport over the last few decades, the gap between the elite clubs in Europe and everyone else is widening more and more. I agree with Tony in that this takes some of the magic away from the game and that the focus should be more on trying to ensure that all kinds of people from all kinds of places can get opportunities and have the access and exposure that used to be so difficult to get. Yeah, I agree. I learned so much from Tony and I'm looking forward to working in soccer someday and he definitely gave me a lot of insight into the sport here in Europe. But that's all we have for this episode. All of our source material is listed in the description for this podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Sound Branding Boutique. Thank you so much for joining us, and thanks to Tony Padilla for being a guest on this episode, as well as Sound Branding Boutique for producing this podcast. We'll see you back next time on Soak Up the Sports. Soak up the sports.